We don't just give him glory and praise because he died for us, but because he died and rose again. That's why he is the Lamb of God who deserves all of our worship, our glory, and our praise. So why don't you right now just give God praise for five seconds if he saved you. We love him. I love, I love being victorious through Jesus. Amen. Isn't it good to be a winner? Why don't you high-five your neighbor and tell him we win as you take your seats. Well, I love Easter. It is the most important day in Christianity. This is the day that really differentiates us from all the other groups and, and religions of the world. You know, there are a lot of religions out there. I'm sure that's not a surprise to you, right? There are a lot of, of, lo a lot of nice teachings, and, and there were a lot of really even nice guys who said some good stuff. Like, you know, like, it's good to be um, loving to your neighbor, or it's good to feed the poor and the hungry. It's good to, to do good things. And, and all those guys who said these things, we got guys like Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius, and there's this guy, Joseph Smith. Have you ever heard of him? No? Not in Arizona. And... Uh, all those guys, though, they said some good things, but really the thing is they're all dead. But what sets us apart is Jesus Christ of Nazareth is alive. Even today, over 2,000 years after he walked on this earth, we have a risen and victorious king. Now, we sometimes, we hear about this year after year, it's Easter Sunday, we love it. And I think we sometimes lose our grasp on the reality of the resurrection, that this is not a religious fairy tale. This is not a parable about winning at life. Jesus was a real, walking, talking human being. He had blood pumping through his veins like you do. He walked and worked under the same sun that you work under. He actually lived. He actually was crucified on a cross. This human being died. His heart stopped beating. The blood poured out from him. They buried him in an actual tomb and sealed it for three days. And then the power of God brought him back to life. This is as it actually happened. Put your mind around that for a minute, that this is real, that this really happened. It takes faith to be a Christian, but honestly, not that much faith. Because our faith is based on a historical event. So I want to talk to you about the undeniable evidence of the resurrection this morning. That's what we want to look at. I am so confident that Jesus rose from the grave, that I would bet my life on it. And I am betting my life on it. And I want you to bet your life on it in your eternity that Jesus is alive. If Jesus is actually alive, then it should change everything about our lives. It should change how we think, how we live, how we raise our kids, how we manage our money. It should change our love life. It should change every single thing, even how we think about death, if he is really alive. I think we're going to see today that he really is and that we can believe it with confidence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3, Paul, the apostle, he writes this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. 
And here's this creed now, starting in verse 3. This is a creed that was passed on to Paul. It was taught to him when he became a Christian. It was an oral tradition to pass things on this way, and you'd memorize it, and it was how you would pass on beliefs and teaching to your kids and new Christians. So here's what it is. Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. So we're going to look at the evidence for the resurrection this morning. I don't think that you can really avoid believing in the resurrection if you'll just look at the evidence with an open mind, applying logic, reason, and common sense. You don't even have to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I do, and I think most of you do, but even if you don't, you just look at the common sense evidence around the resurrection of Jesus, and you cannot help but admit that it's true. I'm going to show you. Let's, let's look at this. Okay, honestly, apply this logic here. It's an irrefutable historic fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth actually existed. No serious historian would try to deny that fact. It's just a fact. It's an irrefutable fact that he was crucified and buried. Even skeptics admit this. The the historians that we have access to, like Tacitus, he was a Roman historian. He was not a Christian. Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. He was not a Christian. But they both record that there was this guy, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, and his disciples believed he rose from the dead. We have third-hand eyewitness reporting on this. His his believers, they, they actually believed that they had a real experience with the resurrected Christ. And they documented it. And even skeptics will say, well, they definitely believe that they had a real experience with Jesus. And and so because of that, now we are here in this church, the Christian church. We're a part of it. And it exists today because something happened, right? Something happened. Something had to have happened or else we wouldn't be here. Now, what you want to do is use what investigators and historians use. It's called abductive reasoning. Abductive reasoning, here's what you do. You look at a perplexing situation, you examine the evidence around that thing, and then you come up with the best explanation based off of the evidence. Okay, so it's not that complicated. Like, you wake up from your Easter nap this afternoon, and let's say there's little chocolate handprints all over your wall, okay? (laughs) You see your little kids there, this chocolate-covered hands, right? Like, abductive reasoning says, look at the evidence. Okay, was it an alien conspiracy? Probably not. The best explanation is that your kids are getting spanked. That's what it is. (laughs) And in the same way, we look at the evidence around the Jesus Christ story that he died and rose again. And abductive reasoning will lead you to see that it is undeniable that he did rise from the grave. It does take faith to be a Christian, but our faith is based on undeniable evidence. So here, consider this first. The evidence of the empty tomb. We know that Jesus was dead and placed in a tomb. We know that. And here's what it says in John 19, verses 38 and 40 through 42. 
Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. We got a lot of secret disciples in the church today still, right? You know, here it started with Joseph. Like he didn't really want people at work to know, you know, didn't want his neighbors to think he was weird. He was a secret disciple because he feared the Jewish leaders. Well, he kind of found his courage, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus's body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So they placed Jesus in this tomb, and here's the thing. Everyone in Jerusalem, they knew where the tomb was. This guy, Joe of Arimathea, he was a famous guy. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, it's called, which was like a Supreme Court back in the day. So he was really well known. And so if you were going to make up a story about burying Jesus in a tomb, you would not use the tomb of a famous guy that everybody knew. It would make it a lot harder to get away with your tall tale. Like if I was going to try telling you that LeBron James was my best friend, it'd be hard for me to get away with that because I would get found out. You know, he's famous, right? And here's how it was, right? They were preaching this message that Jesus rose from the grave in Jerusalem where he was buried in a famous guy's tomb where everybody knew where it was at. So if you heard this story and you were like, no, that's, that can't be true. Like people don't come back to life three days later. You would have been able to go to the tomb because you knew where it was, famous guy's tomb. Check it out and you would have seen, oh, the stone is rolled away. It's empty. And if it hadn't been, if there had been a body in there, it was still sealed up. Well, guess what everybody would have known? And they would have said, I, I, no, it's, it's not true. I found the tomb. They were local, so it would have been easy to disprove, like any single people here. Right? You got to check it out, single people. Like, I'm trying to help you right now. So put your hand up high. Easter, Easter gift for you right now, okay? Like, going to resurrect your love life back to life this morning. Just feel free to thank me later, okay? Easter magic is in the air. So if you go on a date with someone, you know how it is. got to be careful that they're not like a creeper. They're not lying about their background. You ever met somebody like that? They tell stories. So like you live here in Arizona. So if you go out with some guy ladies and he tries to say like, I'm the governor of Arizona. You'd be like, what? No, you're not. Like, because you live here. Now, if I said I was the president of like Czechoslovakia or something, you'd at least have to Google that because you're not really sure. But if I told you, like, yo, I have a, a, a whole, like, mansion that belongs to me, and it's on the corner of Ellsworth and Southern, you'd be able to, like, go there because it's a place that you know of. Likewise, they're preaching that Jesus is alive. Everybody knows where his tomb is. They go check it out. And, what, and really what would have happened is this Jesus movement would have gotten squashed right from the get-go if the tomb was not empty. Consider this. The tomb was found empty first by women. Now, ladies, you've come a long way in 2,000 years. You have, right? Started from the bottom, now you're here, right? Like, we know what's up now. Back in the day, they did not have this figured out. And so they did not treat you all with the respect you deserve. I was expecting like a really loud amen right there, but all right. And 
Back in the day, see, if you were a woman, they would not even allow you to testify in court because they just thought you were crazy because you were a woman. I obviously do not endorse that position. But so if you were going to make up a religion, you would not say that the first witnesses to this empty tomb was a woman in a day, the first century, when women weren't even allowed to testify in court because their, their testimony wasn't even considered valid. They wouldn't say that unless that's just what actually happened, that it happened to be women that discovered the tomb. Then, most importantly, even the enemies of Jesus Christ admit that the tomb was empty. That's a very compelling piece of evidence right there. In Matthew 28, it says, As the women were on their way, they had just seen the tomb being empty. Some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. This was the story, okay? These Jewish leaders, they told the guards who had been protecting the entrance to the tomb, you're going to say his disciples snuck in in the middle of the night like little ninjas. And while you were all asleep, they managed to roll away this humongous stone with their bare hands that weighed hundreds upon hundreds of pounds. That's the story, okay? Break. That was what they did. And then we actually have historical evidence that the story it spread. We have written documentation. Even in the second century, there was a debate between a Jew and a Christian that's recorded. And the Jew says, no, you stole his body. That's what the disciples, they said, you stole his body. That was the story. The, the story worked. So if you are a lawyer familiar with how courts work, you know that these Jewish guys, they are considered a hostile witness. See, they're not really in support of the Jesus movement. They don't want to see it flourish. The last thing that they want is for the tomb to be empty, which just adds fuel to the fire of Jesus' movement. So now that the tomb is empty, they have to come up with a story. And they say, you're going to say you stole the body. Now, this is a really interesting piece of evidence because they're hostile witnesses. And yet they're admitting that the tomb is empty. They're confirming something that's not in their own favor. Dr. Paul Mayer is a professor of ancient history of Western Michigan University. He says, if a hostile source admits a fact that is decidedly not in its favor, the fact is genuine. Just makes sense, right? Like, I hate the Seahawks, but I'm not even ashamed of it, so don't boo me. But I have to admit that Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. Stop clapping, okay? <laughs> It's because he is, all right? Like, I don't like to admit it, but I have to admit it. It's proof that he actually is. Just like the Jewish leaders admitting that the body was stolen is proof that it, at the very least, was not there. So you got to ask yourself, would somebody steal this body as a hoax? Well, we know the Romans wouldn't have. They wanted to quench any religious uprising. The Jewish leaders definitely wouldn't have. They were trying to stop Jesus at all costs. They wanted to keep that body in the tomb. That's why they sent a group of Roman guards and temple guards to stop anybody from taking his body. 
The problem is like Jesus did not cooperate with their plans. He busted out of the tomb. He slapped YOLO in the face and he's like, I'm back. So now that the grave is empty, the Jewish leaders have to come up with a story. And they say, well, okay, I guess his body was stolen. But think about it. If you were the disciples, would you want to steal that body? Maybe one person would be crazy enough. But, but here's the thing. Like, we've all told lies before. Like, pretty much, like, we can just admit it. Like, I'm not proud of it, but we've all lied, okay? Now, when we lie, generally we're trying to protect ourselves, aren't we? We're trying to make ourselves look good. We're trying to cover up our own embarrassing mistakes. We generally don't lie so that we will get tortured and killed. One person might be insane, completely insane, to where they would die for a lie. But a group of guys, 11 guys, dozens and dozens of people, they're not going to die for something they know is a lie. If we stole the body, we're not going to all go to the death. Like somebody is going to be like, all right, you got me. I don't want to die for this. But they were all willing to die because they had seen Jesus. Consider the evidence of the resurrection appearances. Even skeptics will admit this. Okay, the followers of Jesus, skeptics say, they at least believe they saw something. They obviously believe they saw something. We don't know what it was. Well, here's what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He would just drop in on them and be like, hey, guys, how's it going? And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. In many ways. That's just really interesting. We know a couple of the ways. Like He's like, hey, you can hug me. Let's eat lunch together. And then I think he did probably other things, you know, like, let's play catch or something, you know. Like, I'll carry you across the room if that helps you believe that I'm actually alive. He proved it. Now, maybe again, maybe, maybe they were lying. They, they all wrote down and they recorded their written testimony that they saw him. But maybe they were lying. Again, does it make sense that they would lie? I mean, maybe they were bummed out when he died on the cross. But I don't think they got together and they're like, man, this is a bummer. We... We all were hoping that Jesus was going to be like the Messiah and stuff, but he died. And so, I don't know. Let's just say that he rose again. You know, like maybe, maybe let's just say that he did. And yeah, we'll all get killed for it, but it'll be really funny, right? Like it'll be a great April Fool's joke. Be great. Be great. Like, do you think anybody would really want to die? For a lie. Okay, so even skeptics will admit, okay, they weren't lying. Why would you lie? I think you have to consider the transformation of the disciples. And that's proof that they weren't lying. They were completely transformed. These guys, they were Jesus' boys. They followed him for three years. They saw his teaching and his miracles. I mean, they saw Jesus do miracles. I mean, that's great. Like, he fed 5,000, he walked on water, he raised dead people back to life. He told them, I'm going to die, don't worry, I'm going to rise again. Guess what happened? He died, and they all ran away and hid. That's just how we are as people. We're fickle, and we lack faith. They scattered, they hid, they were afraid. Now, you wouldn't want to admit that if you were inventing a religion, that the founders of your faith... Jesus' own disciples, they didn't trust him at all, right? I'd be like, hey, I knew it was all good, bro. Like, I knew he was coming back. But they say, they say it very clearly, like, 
yeah, we all ran away and hid. So then something happens, and they all completely change their game. Now they are boldly out in the streets publicly preaching that Jesus is alive. Peter is even calling people out who killed him. He's like, one minute he's hiding, and he is lying to little girls that he even knows Jesus. Like, I don't know him. Don't, don't look at me. The next minute, he's in the streets talking to the Jewish leaders who killed him. He's like, you killed him, but God brought him back. Like, how do you explain this unless he actually rose again? When Jesus started to do ministry, even his own family thought he was crazy. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I can understand that. My family thinks I'm crazy, but Jesus was God, so that's messed up. It even says in John chapter 7, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed him. That's a bummer, okay? So like his brother James, we can read about in Scripture. He was part of that group. He did not even believe Jesus, and that's, that's kind of disappointing. But then something happened. And now we see that James becomes the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Well, what happened? Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 that there, he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Well, that, that'll do it, right? You know, like anybody here, have you ever thought that maybe your sibling was God? Just by, No? My brother is a great guy. I got two brothers they were the good ones. They did not get in trouble like me. I got in trouble. They didn't. But I never thought they were God. Okay. So what would have to happen for you to believe your own sibling was God? I don't know. Maybe him saying he was going to die and come back to life three days later. And then you actually see him. And then James is like, you got me. <laughs> something happened, right? Now, they definitely believe they saw something. But let's be fair. Just because you believe something is true doesn't make it true. So here's where skeptics, they kind of come up with this next idea. Well, maybe his disciples hallucinated. Maybe they dreamed they saw him. Well, okay, let's consider that possibility. Um, generally, it's hard to touch a hallucination. Generally, it's hard to have dinner with a hallucination, you know, and multiple disciples ate with him. You know, so you're not going to sit down to dinner today with your family, finish dinner, and be like, did I just hallucinate that we all ate this meal? And everybody's going to be like, yeah, I didn't eat it. Did you eat it? No, I, I think that's, that's crazy. Here's another interesting little fact. It says multiple times in Scripture that his own disciples, when they saw him resurrected, they didn't recognize him at first. Who would think to make that up, right? Would you hallucinate that maybe one of your loved ones died and they came back and you're talking to them, like in your dream or something, but you don't recognize them and they look completely different? That doesn't even really make sense. They didn't recognize him because the last time they saw him, he had been beaten to a bloody pulp, and now he was restored in glory with a perfect body. That's why they didn't recognize him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul says, remember, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Okay, so 500 people would not have the same hallucination. Like, right? Like, that's, like that's not going to If I told a story on social media today, guys, Easter was great. I rode into church on a flying unicorn. Everybody saw it. They were there. There's a lot of people in this room that would say, no, that's not true. That pastor is crazy, right? In the same way, Paul is like, 500 people saw him alive, and most of them are still alive. Like, go to Jerusalem. Ask around. 
you'll find a bunch of people who saw him or their first-hand relatives with somebody who saw him. And not all of those people can be making this up. They didn't surely all hallucinate it. Consider Paul, the apostle, right? Before he was Paul, the apostle, he was Saul, the assassin. He was a bad guy. He even says in his own words, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Paul, he, he was the ultimate hater. His life was devoted to killing Christians. He was committed to this. He, he loved his job too. Like he would whistle on his way to work in the morning, like going to kill me some Christians today. He surely wasn't hoping to see Jesus alive. Was he supposedly hoping to see Jesus alive so much that he hallucinated the resurrected Jesus and it cost him to change his entire life? It doesn't make sense. Unless he actually saw Jesus, like it or not, and it changed him. You can't explain that kind of transformation. It just does not happen. It'd be like if Michael Moore became a Republican. (laughs) Wouldn't happen. If you found out this week that Beyonce was going to only sing country music from now on, you'd be like, no, that's not right. It's just people don't change like that, especially not Paul. He was a criminal, a bad guy. He executed Christians, and now he is the master pastor going around preaching Jesus. The disciples, they believed they saw Jesus because maybe they really had seen the risen Jesus. So skeptics, they'll say, okay, well, it doesn't make sense that they lied. And you're right, it doesn't really make sense that they hallucinated. So here's where they retreat to. They retreat to this position and they'll say, well, maybe it's just a legend. Maybe back in the day, you know, Jesus was a real guy and he died. And then hundreds of years later, over time, these guys turned this thing into a legend. And they said, well, Jesus rose again. We know how legends kind of happen. Like you hear legends So that's maybe an interesting idea. Was this just a legend that developed hundreds of years later? Consider this. The creed that we just read that Paul wrote down in 1 Corinthians 15, it was taught to him when he just became a Christian. He said, it was passed on to me. I received it. This happened just two years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Legends don't happen in two years, okay? Like maybe you dated somebody two years ago. You're not going to automatically start like imagining that they were like a mystical creature, you know. The book of Mark, it was written off of a source that was only seven years old. Legends don't happen that fast. Like Michael Jackson died about nine years ago, okay. Like he was the prince of pop, great guy. But we have not developed a legend to make him the king of kings, have we? Like it's not enough time. It surely wasn't hundreds of years later. It was immediately that Jesus' followers believed with all their hearts that he had risen from the grave. This is no legend. I also think this is interesting, that there was no shrine at the tomb of Jesus. Back in the first century, it was custom to develop, build a shrine at the tomb of a holy man so his followers could come and worship there. That's what they do. They still do it. So you can actually go to the grave and see the bones of Joseph Smith. They're down, in the, they're down in the ground. They're in Illinois. You can go there. You can go to where Muhammad's bones are in Medina. You can actually be there where they are. You can go to where Confucius is buried on the east coast of China and see his grave. You can actually go to where Buddha's remains are in Sri Lanka and see part of him. 
right? But there is no shrine at the tomb of Jesus because there were no bones at the tomb of Jesus. So his disciples said, we don't need a shrine to worship. We have seen him and worshiped him in person and his spirit is alive in us. We don't need a shrine. He was alive. I think that's just really the best explanation that you consider all the evidence and then you have to just kind of acknowledge like, man, it does take faith, but not that much faith to see that Jesus must have rose. He must have risen up from the grave. He's alive. He obviously, he, he had to have. Like none of these things make sense otherwise. But it's still normal to have doubts. People, people tend to doubt and we struggle with that. In John chapter 20, we see an example of this. It says eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Thomas, the guy who was doubtful. He said, I will not believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. Okay, I can relate to that. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. I won't believe it unless I can touch him. And Jesus said, poof. Here you go. Put your hands there. Put your hands here. Believe. And they dropped the mic. And he walked away. Now, I think it's amazing that Jesus rose from the grave with a glorified body, but he allowed himself to keep the wounds in his hand and in his side so that one day we would see him in heaven, but we would still see the evidence, the sign that he paid the price for our sin when he was nailed to the cross, and we will worship him for it. So see the, see the wounds, touch them. I love that. Thomas, he, he got it at that point. He's like, all right. I'm good. He says, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. In Arizona, 2,000 years from now, they are going to be blessed. That's you. Now, maybe, maybe you wrestle with doubt, and you're like, but, you know, nice, nice story, nice piece of evidence, putting it all together. I like what you did there, but... I wasn't there, you know, so I just can't believe this really happened. I wasn't there. But that's obviously not a reliable way to judge the veracity of a historical event, saying I wasn't there, you know. Like, there's a lot of things that have happened that I believe happened that I wasn't there for, you know. I wasn't there when the Titanic sunk, but I can believe the eyewitness testimony that it hit an iceberg. I wasn't there when Abraham Lincoln was shot, but I can go to the place where it happened and see it. I wasn't there when America won the War of Independence, but I'm living in America, hello, so I know it happens. In the same way, I was not there when Jesus lived, but I can read the eyewitness testimony of the people who were there. I was not there when he died, but I can go to the place where he died and I can go to the place where he rose again. I was not there when he defeated sin and death, but I am living in the victory that only comes from a savior who has defeated sin and death. I can tell you, I wasn't there, but I believe. The evidence is too strong not to believe, 
I think it takes more faith to not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. We don't just have faith that Jesus is alive. We have faith because Jesus is alive. You have to understand the difference. It does take a little faith to believe that he's alive because you haven't seen him maybe. And he said you're blessed if you believe and you haven't seen him. It takes a little bit of faith. You consider the evidence. It's not even that hard. It just takes a little bit of faith. We don't just have faith that he's alive. Duh, he's alive. I have faith because he's alive. That is the assurance that we can trust all of God's promises. That he's alive. Because he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. Now, nobody has ever done that, right, without God's power. And so Jesus actually did that. And his resurrection is the proof that we can now trust, have faith, God's promises. So it's because Jesus is alive, we have changed. That's why. You might have wondered to yourself, like, why are these Christians different? You know, why why did my friend change when he found God? Well, well, why? I don't know. Like, why shouldn't we just do whatever feels good? Why shouldn't we just do what's in our own best interest? Well, it's because Jesus is alive. You know, that's why we've changed. Why should we actually love our enemies and forgive the people that hurt us? Because Jesus is alive. That's why. Why should we live generously as a giver instead of a taker? Why should we serve other people with our time? It's because Jesus is alive. And this room is filled with people who serve as living proof that Jesus is alive because your life has changed and you are a witness to that change. That's evidence. It's because Jesus is alive that we have hope. So it's like, how do I know that God can work all things together for my good? That's what the Bible says, but how do I know he can? Well, we, it's because Jesus is alive. You might have heard someone say, like, God has the power to heal. Well, how do I, how do I really know that God can heal my sickness and disease? Well, because he healed Jesus from death. That's how. How do I actually have hope that I'm going to live after I die and that I'll see my loved ones again? It's because Jesus has shown us that he is more powerful than death and the grave. That's why we have faith, right? It's because Jesus is alive that we have confidence. I love being a confident Christian. Christians should be the most confident people in the world because Jesus is alive. So you want to know, how do we have this confidence? How do you have the confidence that you can actually do what God has called you to do? Because Jesus is alive and the power that rose him from the grave is inside of you. That's how you can have confidence that you can do what God has called you to do. How can I have confidence that the Bible is true? Well, Jesus has proven it. How do you have confidence that Jesus is the only way to God? There's a lot of people out there saying that there are many ways to God there's a lot, people say this, right? Like, hey, all religions lead to God. That's what they say. How do I know though that Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus is the only guy who has defeated death and all the pretenders are still dead. So it proves it, it's, proof. it's confidence for us. We can trust him. Here's what the Bible says. It says that we're sinners and we've all fallen short of God's standard, amen? We know that it's true. We try to tell ourselves that it's not true. The world tries to tell us like, hey, you're a basically a good guy. And you're like, thanks. But inside, you're like, no, I'm not. 
right? It doesn't matter how many little old ladies I help across the street, how many shelters I volunteer at, it can never make up for my sin and the gap between me and God. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. That is why Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so you wanna have confidence that you're saved. You need to be excited that Jesus is alive. Because you might ask like, well, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know that when this life is over, I'm gonna see God and I'm gonna live with him forever? How do I know? Well, because Jesus said, and he's alive. So everything he says, I trust. Here's what it says in scripture, Romans 10, nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, read it with me, you will be saved. That's what it says. And Jesus proved it. Jesus even said to Mary, he said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's a question we all have to answer. Do I believe this? For many of you, you'd say, yes, I do. I've already placed my faith in Jesus. But maybe someone is here today and you need to take that step of faith. You wanna know that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you wanna know today beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will see your loved ones again, that you will have life after death. You wanna know you're right with God. You're done trying to earn his forgiveness. You're done trying to earn his love. You're ready to just receive it as the free gift that it is. That's God's grace. If that's you today is your day, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, everyone here this morning. And if you would say, I wanna take that step of faith today. I wanna have hope. I wanna have confidence. I'm ready for God to change me. You can experience that by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's all we have to do is we have to believe that God did raise him from the dead after he died for our sins. If you'll say, man, I believe that I'm putting my trust in him, then you will be saved. And you ask God to forgive you, he will forgive you. So if that's you, you're ready to take that step today. I don't want you to leave here without that confidence and that hope. Would you just pray this prayer with me? It's not a magic prayer, but it just expresses what's in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose again. I need your forgiveness for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me enough to die for me even though I didn't deserve it. I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we wanna celebrate with you. We're not gonna embarrass you, but we wanna recognize that God has done a miracle inside of you this morning. I'm gonna ask you to shoot your hand up on the count of three so that we can cheer for what God has done. One, today is your day. Two, God brought you here for a purpose because he loves you. Three, just shoot your hand up and we wanna recognize, that's awesome, that's awesome. I love it, that's awesome. We celebrate with you guys, praise God. Would you guys stand to your feet this morning? We gotta give God praise here because Jesus is alive and that has changed our destiny. We have been changed and transferred from death into life, becoming children of God. We have hope in the midst of any storm. We have confidence no matter what the doubters say. We know our God is victorious and his spirit is alive in us. We gotta give him praise. Come on, let's sing it out. And the praise 